This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today we have as our special guest, photographer and cinematographer Jeff Berlin, who has shot beauty and fashion layouts for top magazines and brands, including British L, Vogue Italia, L'Oreal, Miss Vogue, Estee Lauder, Esquire, and many others. And I'm Mary Elkins. He is also a coveted celebrity and rodeo photographer. And as a cinematographer, he has shot films for Sony and the fashion label Norma Kamali, to name a few, as well as a number of music videos and commercials. His films El Ray and the Wrangler have garnered attention, and his short film Storm Chaser has been honored on the domestic and international film circuits. He's a passionate aviator and has also edited and written for aviation magazines such as Flying, Plane and Pilot, Pilot Mag, and Pilot Journal. Welcome, Jeff. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you. And please great to be us, here. Oh, it's great to have you. Please tell us about your background and how it influenced your career choices. Oh, gosh, my background. Yeah. I was, you know, I, I really feel that... Uh, Growing up in New York City, and my parents actually had a big influence on the path that I that I took, um, because my my grandfather started his business in Soho in the 1930s, mm. and my dad it was a, a picture framing and mat board manufacturing, so it was related to the art world. Uh-huh. So I grew up, you know, my dad went into that business as well. And I grew up, you know, some of my earliest memories growing up in New York are Soho before it's the Soho that we see today. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, when it was all, you know, manufacturing and, uh, uh, you know, always having, you know, having grown up peripheral to the art world, uh, I feel like that was a big influence on, on, my life and you know my sensibilities and what where i ended up going with everything and uh um you know i grew up i really i really my mom would drag me around new york and she would just go shopping and and take me to all the stores and it was fun and uh she always had vogue magazine lying around the house which was kind of funny because my Playboy was Vogue magazine, you know, <laughs> and because uh, I thought the girls were beautiful, and you know, but I liked fashion. I started liking fashion, and in college, I ended up um, going to school for communications, um, 
but I did start to assist a fashion photographer, like apprentice, like I was an apprentice oh. for a fashion photographer down in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of my first, you know, touch point in the photography and fashion world. Um, during college, I I did take a couple photo courses that really kind of sparked my interest in photography uh, on a deeper level, especially huh. like the the history of photographer. I think of photography. I think it's I think it's so important in whatever you choose to do that, you know, who came before you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, for example, in aviation, you know, I've been very involved in aviation. When I took over plane and pilot magazine as the editor, I instituted a series of articles every month. I wanted to hit, hit aviation history every month because aviation history is so rich and so colorful and fascinating. And there's so many incredible stories in, in, in aviation history, you know, um, and it was the same thing for me in photography and learning who the great masters were and who came before me. And, 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 you know, that also, you know, when you're a young photographer, you're still trying to develop your, your sensibility and your style and your sense of self. And so you, you emulate a lot and you, you know, you're trying to find yourself by looking at others work. Well, I have and to so, ask you, you go to school uh, for that. I can, yeah, I, mean, I, I could talk for an hour about just that. So. <laughs> well, I have to ask you how those roots in still photography and in your background shaped your sens sensibilities as a cinematographer. Well, you know, um, I, I um, spent many years developing you know, if you wanted to work as a, as a photographer, especially in fashion, it was important to have an identity mm. uh, or, or else why would somebody hire you over the next person? And so I spent a, a fair amount of time developing, you know, finding a style. I found what resonated, you know, after shooting a ton of different things and so many models, I figured out what worked and I found out what I wanted and I found my path. And then I went to Europe for six years and developed it further there. And in mm. Europe, I started working, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to shoot high-end editorial for magazines as a young photographer, you weren't gonna do it here in the US. You were gonna oh. get your break. No, not here at all. You were, huh. especially as a, as a new young photographer, um, you were only gonna get stuck shooting front of books, service stories, you know, things like that. But which country um, did you go to? So I first, uh, I, I moved first to Italy, to Milan, and I spent three years there. And then I went to Paris and I spent another three years in Paris. Oh my goodness. And, lucky you. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. It was transformational, but that kind of took everything to the next level. And it also taught me about collaboration, um, because I learned that, you know, yeah, you know, in New York, you learn a little bit because I always tried to have good hair and makeup or whatever. But, you know, for me, when I started working in Milan or Paris on a much higher level, world-class level, so to speak, you know, shooting L'Oreal, for example, or Bogitalia. And there was this section of Bogitalia where, like, the new up-and-coming photographers in Milan, a selection of them were getting invited to shoot. And that was, you know, 
super prestigious and super cool. And, you know, I'm one of the few photographers in the world who could say that they've shot for Vogue Italia, you know, and that's, I'm Mm -hmm. very proud of that. Although I I always will be. Wow. And, um, that's amazing. You know, but all that experience, uh, shooting for all these clients, uh, all over Europe and then back here in the U S you know, you develop your eye, you develop your sense of style, you develop your sensibility, you learn what's good and, you know, you learn lighting, but you learn lighting in a very specific way. So it's the transition to cinematography was very, it's a different world. It's apples and oranges. I learned, um, in what way? Well, the lighting is completely different. The cameras and the technologies are completely different. Uh, the only thing translatable is sensibility and your visual sense, you know? Um, and that's been the best, I think the best preparation for me. Um, you know, it's funny as a cinematographer, I think it's important to have a style, but I think it's also important to have a style that can become anything because Hmm. you want your images to support the story and the director's vision. You don't want to put too much of a thumbprint on those images that you're making because it has to fit what you're doing. So, you know, that's been an interesting thing too. But once, you know, the thing is, no matter that, you always have a sensibility for what's in that frame and for balance and for shot craft. And so mm-hmm. I think having worked for so long in fashion and celebrity portrait and even aviation and Western lifestyle, um, that has all contributed to the way I construct a frame in cinematography as well. (laughs) And then the collaboration, working on a world-class level, working on the highest levels of advertising and editorial, that's a collaboration with stylists and hair and makeup and what, you know, editors and creative directors and all of that. And, you know, even though on a fashion shoot, the photographer is the, he's the DP, he's the gaffer, he's the, you know, the grip really at the, you know, on a film set, you're just the DP and you have gaffers and grips. Yes. I had, I had assistance as a cinema, as a fashion photographer, but you know, it's a, it's a much more of a team sport cinematography. Mm -hmm. And I learned about that working on jobs like L'Oreal where it was much more of a team. So it all, it's all very translatable. Yeah. As you said, you, you spent years traveling the globe and probably many other places you haven't mentioned during your career and living overseas. And how do you feel like that influenced you in your work? Besides getting the jobs, obviously, that was a great part of it. But do you have some interesting stories about those years? I mean, I think, I mean, I could talk about how, for example, shooting for Vogue in Milan you know, I was shooting a very, very specific style. Um, I mean, well, first, you know, growing up in New York, I mean, I don't speak Italian. I do now quite pretty well, I think. But, um, you know, I went over there with my makeup artist, hairstylist, girlfriend, and we broke up within a few months of being there, which, oh. you know, that happens. <laughs> oh. And, um, but, you know, I was surprised how, you know, I had traveled a bit as a kid, but you know, I was surprised in Milan and, and, and also Paris, actually, how much I actually had to learn the language to function. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, so for me, 
it was always, I love language. So it was very, it was very, I worked hard to learn Italian. I actually had an agent in Milan. Her name, her name is Laudomia Piccolomini Frontini di Sciata. That's a mouthful. It's beautiful. I'm I'm actually going to see her in a couple of weeks south of Paris. I'm very excited. She, you know, she's become a lifelong friend, but, um, I spent a lot of time with her and her family and, you know, you have to learn Italian to function there. I had editors and people that I worked with in Milan who did not speak English. I had to learn how to speak. I like to say I speak fashion French, you know, because I can, you know, I can't watch the news on TV, but I can do a photo shoot and talk about hair and makeup and styling and photography and function, (laughs) you know, you know, day to day. But, you know, it was, it was a transformational experience living overseas. Uh, And I couldn't recommend it more to anybody. I mean, everybody should travel, you know, Paris, Milan, I mean, Italy, Rome, you know, uh, I mean, I've been all over Europe. I worked in, in Germany. Uh, I had an agent in Munich for a while and, you know, London's amazing, but you, you know, it's a, you know, it, 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 you grow as a person and it expands your creative envelope, you know? Oh, Do you yes. have any great stories about those years? Oh, what I was going to say, I mean, I don't know what great stories. I mean, it, you know, you, I was shooting a very specific style for, for, uh, you know, at that time using a view camera. This was all before digital. Yeah. You know, and so I, I was, um, you know, sh- shooting, it was a few cameras. So the film was four by five sheet film like this. And, you know, it's like that old style camera with the accordion in the middle and you, you know, you look in the back of it and there's a big, and you, so it's one frame at a time. It's not like digital now where you have, you know, a 64 gig memory card with 2000 images on it. Yeah, you can just shoot and shoot and shoot. You know, you have to be very, and I think this actually trained me very well for working now because it it forced you to be very deliberative in your work. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. I shooting for Vogue, you know, clients would always limit how many frames, how many rolls of film you would have, or with Vogue, it was how many sheets of film. So they literally gave me six sheets per shot. So I had six frames to get it. And they said, beyond that, you're on your own. You're going to have to start paying for the film if you go over your film limit. Wow. And so, you know, that was, and it wasn't cheap then, you know. And so, you know, I'm just a kid over there. I was very young. I was really punching above my weight class, shooting for these magazines and advertising clients, you know, at 25, you know. But, but you know, it, and I would say the the other really fun story, uh, my, my Vogue Italia, some tear sheets had just come out and it was this one shot of um, a bracelet that I did. And I decided I wanted to start checking out Paris because, you know, in Milan, you really could only work for the Italians, but in Paris, it was much more of a city of the world and you could work for clients from any, everywhere. It was just a much more cosmopolitan city. I mean, I miss Milan. I, I, I'm excited. I'm going to be in Paris in two weeks. I'm very excited. You know, these are cities of my life now. I'll always go back. And, um, but so I get to Paris and, you know, back, you know, as a young photographer, model agents could be very, very helpful for your career. And uh, I had this one agency in Paris that I was working closely with called Viva. 
And there was a booker there that, you know, again, before cell phones. So this one agent was kind of acting as my booker as well. She was booking her models and then booking me. And so she would field calls and I would check in with her. And one day I, I just got to Paris and my tear sheets had come out from Vogue. And I'm like, hey, Marie, what's happening? And she's like, well, I got a call today saying it's Jeff Berlin in Paris. And she's like, well, yes, he is. And so she's like, you have an appointment at this agent tomorrow. And so I go to this agent's office and show her my portfolio. And, you know, because your portfolio back then was an actual book of mm-hmm. prints. And she looks through it and she nods. She's like, oh, okay, uh-huh. She's like, you have, I think the Vogue Italia tear sheets might've been already in there probably right at the front. And she's like, okay, you haven't, there's, a, there's an advertising agency looking for you. Um, and so you have an appointment at this advertising agency on this day, say Thursday at 2 p.m. So Thursday at 2 p.m. rolls around. I walk into this advertising agency and I go into this boardroom and there's my Vogue Italia bracelet photo on an uh, enlarged on an easel. And we're sitting around this table. How do you like Paris? You know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't speak a lick of French then. Um, it took a minute to learn French. Uh, knowing Italian first got helped a lot. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm like, they're like, oh, you, I, you know, they're telling me what's happening. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, what is this for? They're like, oh, you, oh, by the way, you do know what this is for, they said. I'm like, no, 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 I don't know what this is about. They're like, oh. You're up for the Dior campaign. Oh, oh, jeez! Oh, so, based on that yeah. based on that shot, that shot from Vogue Italia, and I was like, oh, you know, wow, that's really exciting. I mean, welcome to Paris. And uh, I, I asked them. I had the sense to ask them, you know, well, who, who else are you considering? And they said, it's just you and one other photographer. His name is Christian Moser. And I knew, I knew, I knew as soon as I heard that name, I said, oh, you know, it's great to be in this room and on this playing field, but I'm not going to get this. I knew it in my head because Christian Moser was, you know, I'm these, this young upstart just in from Par- from Milan. You know, I have a handful of tear sheets from Vogue and, you know, I'm just really scratching the surface and breaking in. But Christian Moser was older, much more established shooting for, you know, I could reel off a number of magazines that he shot for Italian Marie Claire, you know, or uh, yeah, Italian Marie Claire, a number of the L magazines over there. And I'm just like, gosh, you know, darn it. You know, I know he's going to get it. I'm not going to get it. I'm too young and new. And so, and that's what happened. But still, it was like, wow, you know, maybe Paris is something I need to look for deeper into and absolutely i ended up up moving to paris after that (laughs) oh well that's what a great story let's talk about your films a little bit tell us a little about your narrative short film storm chaser and also talk about el ray and the wrangler do you have any back stories about those so storm chaser uh was a really you know, it's a really fun film. It was written and directed by a good friend of mine named Gretel Claggett. And she um, she's a super talented writer, director, super creative. And it, it's about this, you know, it's, it's about this woman who has a fascination with storms, but 
it's not she's not a storm chaser per se. The film isn't about that. It's really about a woman who, you know, I wish I had like a really good, like concise sentence about what what it is. I should have that. But it's about a woman who uh, works selling storm doors and siding and roofs for this classless, corrupt. She sells these door to door for this classless, corrupt boss down, you know, in some fictional town in the Midwest called Shamrock. And it's really, it's really a story about, you know, life and, and ambition and feminism and things like that. And it's really, it's a great story. And we, we and it's shot winning it in, awards. It is. It's, we shot it up in Vermont. Uh, it's actually won a couple of awards for the cinematography, which really makes me proud, but it's won a lot of awards for the writing and the, the and as a film itself, it's 27 minutes long. So it's, it's almost like a little featurette, you know, it's, and it's really, it's really entertaining and fun. It was a great experience. And we shot that. It also looks really good because we, we shot it. I have, a, I own a certain camera called a Sony Venice and it's just, it's one of the, it's one of the best cinema cameras you can own right now. It's, uh, it's the film, like it's the camera that they shot the new Top Gun on, for example. Oh, wow. Um, a lot wow. of the, sh- a lot of the shows that you see on Netflix are shot on Venice. So it's, it's really an amazing camera. So I own one and we shot it on that and it just looks, you know, I think the production value of Storm Chaser also looks really amazing. And so it's something platform, that I'm really proud of. Is there any platform right now that's streaming Storm Chaser? It's where not, it's not, it's, could, it's oh. still, there's a cut down version of it. Um, that is also going around to certain uh, contests. So I think once it finishes its circuit of contests, uh, I'm sure the director will, um, you know, put it up for right. streaming somewhere. But it's still not. I hope so. Still not available online. Sounds <laughs> yeah, wonderful. it's cool. I'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen um, a trailer of it, and it's really exciting. And um, were those real tornadoes? Were they special effects? It was it was a combination of special effects and real tornadoes, um, but we didn't shoot them. That was kind of stock footage that mm. was was purchased, yeah. and yeah, yeah. But it was fun. It was well done. It was you know the lead was um, uh, she played she was on uh, Reno nine one one. I mean she was the lead the lead actors on on that film also were were so great, and it was just like you know that which is so important. Yeah, and you were recently the DP for the Los Angeles segment of a documentary about the Brazilian pop star Anita. So tell us about that. Well, Anita. Well, I'll, I'll touch back on El Rey and, and the Wrangler too. Okay. But, uh, sure. And, Anita. Anita. You know that that really just came to me through a friend of mine who is also a DP, and that job actually came to him, but he was unavailable, so he kind of he just passed it over to me. But one thing that's fun is that with this, this DP, he's a good friend of mine. And, and he usually, you know, he'll give me the call a lot when things need to look pretty, you know, and because of my long background in fashion, um, he thinks I just make people look pretty and, 
that kind of came through that. Anita is a big, she's becoming a big star all over the world, but she was, she's a big, big star in Brazil, a huge pop star. Like she has something like 62 million followers on Instagram. Wow. And we, she, she came up here to play on the main stage at Coachella and, um, we shot her, uh, the week leading up to that, her rehearsal with the, with her, you know, with her show and in the soundstage in the Valley. And it was really fun, um, to watch that process and to be kind of a fly on the wall for that process as, you know, watching the show come together through the week where, you know, in the beginning of the week, she's just kind of going through some motions and they're figuring it all out. And by the end of the week, you know, in the days before she goes up to Coachella, you know, they're really doing it and they're really in it and they're dressed and, you know, it's really, it was a fun, it was a fun progression to, 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 to shoot. Yeah. What about El Rey? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. El Rey, you know, one of the things that's really cool about the Sony cameras is, you know, the ecosystem, you know, from the alpha cameras all the way to the Venice and, you know, like El Rey and the Wrangler, like the Wrangler, was shot for the mobile phone division of phone, mobile phone division of Sony, where that's a film shot 100% on a cell phone. Oh, really? And if you looked at it, it's super cinematic. You would never know. There were certain things that might be telltale. Oh, this might have been shot on a phone or something, but you might not know it. Um, really, to me, like the depth of field, you know, you don't have a lot of control over that. But otherwise. The images are great and they're cinematic and um, it would mix well with, you know, really any other cinema, any other Sony camera, like one of the alpha cameras or the mirrorless cameras or any of the video FX cameras, like the, like Anita we shot on the FX9, uh, which is a great run and gun documentary camera. A lot of documentary and reality TV is shot on that camera. (laughs) Um, El Rey was shot on the FX3 and FX6. And so, uh, like, just to start with the Wrangler, the Wrangler, it's the story about some friends of mine who are cattle ranchers that they live out about an hour outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming, and they live on a, I don't know, 80,000 acre cattle ranch. You know, they're on a Mm -hmm. huge cattle ranch. And I met them actually at the rodeo. And I got to know them at the rodeo. I went and photographed them first at the rodeo, and we've been friends ever since. And Mm -hmm. so when this... When this project came up, I'm like, you know, it'd be really fun to shoot something Western. So I, ca- I called them. I'm like, hey, what's what, what do you got like Western coming up? And they're like, well, we have a branding coming up. And I'm like, all right, let's shoot the branding. So I went up there with my friend, who's also a DP. And we took a couple of the phones and um, outfitted them and configured them to shoot video. Um, they have this, the phones have this really cool feature in them called uh, cinema pro mode and so the phone actually functions like a cinema camera so we <laughs> shot it like that and it was super fun and it looks great and i'm really proud of it actually um and plus it's always fun to do cowboy stuff you know oh i bet yeah cowboys and horses or horses and so much fun and they're all celebrities and, to you aren't they oh i the- mean it's 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 they're they're kind of celebrities to me. I mean, it's it's such a cool world to be in, you know, that I discovered back from rodeo. Well, um, tell us a little bit away, about your work with celebrities. 
the well, um, the you know, the celebrity celebrities was a was a a natural progression of the fashion that I did. Um, you know, I mean, because all you know, I just. You know, I was good at, at in photography at just making people look beautiful, and celebrities want to look beautiful in, in in pictures. So it really kind of came from that in a very organic way. Where um, I became, I had, I was friends with this actor that was on a po very popular TV show, and we were hanging out. And I did some photos of him. I went down to visit them at set, and this was a show called Ally McBeal back in the day. I of love course, and. We did some pictures. I did some photos of him and one of his co-stars. And all of a sudden, you know, I started building this portfolio of this body of work of actors and celebrities photographing them around L.A. And, you know, I was doing a lot of bouncing back and forth between New York and L.A., shooting fashion and celebrity. And it just kind of grew in a very, very organic way. Um, and I shot some stuff for networks and a bunch of editorial, celebrity editorial. and it was just really fun and you know shooting actors like uh jamie presley and amanda Peet, and you know shooting galleries and Alyssa milano and you know just whoever kurt russell i mean there's a, you know there's a ton of different celebrities so I, what, what is it like know. to work with them do you have any great anecdotes i mean kurt russell was super fun because he's also a pilot oh. um you know or tree williams also a pilot and um, you know, I was working on this celebrity pilot project where, uh, you know, like I, I became, you know, I got to know Treat Williams a little bit and he does a lot of TV and, and, uh, yeah, avid, avid pilot. And so one day, um, you know, when you're a pilot, you really bond, you know, so we became friendly and, you know, Christopher Reeve was also uh, uh, a very avid pilot, you know, Superman. Hmm. Yeah. And one day, Chris, you know, treat, treat calls me and he's like, Hey, do you want to go up to Christopher Reeve's house to spend the afternoon, you know, go up and have lunch with Christopher Reeve and go talk flying. And I'm like, you know, who wants, who doesn't want to go hang out with Superman? <laughs> and so this was after he was injured too. Oh, and, um, so we did, we went up there, we, we drove up to upstate New York and, you know, spent the day with, you know, afternoon with Christopher Reeve talking about flying and, and horses and aviation and Superman and how he, you know, he talked about how he used his knowledge as a pilot to help the flying scenes in Superman look better. Really? And Don't you wish yeah. you had all? Don't you wish you had that whole afternoon on video? I. I do. I do. You know, it was an incredible thing. He talked about, you know, how he was frustrated about how he got injured because it was something that he'd done a thousand times. And, you yeah. know, it was, it was, um, it was a very moving, impactful afternoon. I can tell you, yeah. you know, and we, know we, um, we also know that you're a rodeo fan. And you've directed and yeah. shot projects for the Professional Bull Riders Association. And what do those projects require of you? Well, I think it's important. You know, it works out. So, you know, I think to really do 
a good job in what you're shooting. And this works, this applies to anything, but it really directly applies to, you know, rodeo and to aviation. Um, is, is you have to really understand the world to be able to capture it smartly, you know? Um, you know, like for, for example, when I'm shooting rodeo, um, you know, I, you, you, you get special, you know, I want access to the best angles and those are places that they really don't want people bumbling around, you know, like up at the bucking shoots where you have 2000 pound bulls and horses bucking around in their shoot. And if you're, if you put your arm through the bar and that bull bucks up, it'll break your arm. So uh, you just, right. you know, you, you need to know that world. Well, did you, or the aviation world? Did you have to learn to ride a bull? Well, I would never get on a bull, but I did, <laughs> you know, you know, the, the thing is this, the way I learned, the way I got into rodeo was a very specific thing. I serious aircraft, it came through aviation where Cirrus Aircraft, which is, you know, a big airplane company, the most popular single-engine piston airplane in the world. Um, it's the Cirrus SR-22, their flagship airplane. Well, they have the jet now, but piston-wise, incredible airplane. That's the airplane that I flew to Brazil. I flown it all over the world, all over, all over the U.S., Central America. Amazing airplane. Um, Cirrus called me one day years ago, and they were like, hey, do you want to, Come to Duluth, which is where their factory is, Minnesota. Pick up an airplane, fly it to Colorado, pick up a cowboy, and fly to rodeos for a week and write a story about it. And I'm like, rodeos? <laughs> Flying? <laughs> Are you kidding? Of course. <laughs> so, so I did just that. So my entree to rodeo was traveling around with a champion roper. Oh, uh, nice. A team roper an and experience. a calf tied-down roper. Yeah, he was a team roper and a calf tied on roper. So I learned all about rodeo from traveling with him. And so I I learned all about the, you know, how rodeos are governed by a governing body. Like, you know, Major League Baseball or, is, or NFL or, you know, all these, the PGA for golf, you know, USTA for tennis. So the rodeo world has the PRCA, the Pro Professional rodeo cowboys association and you know i think it's so you know when you're traveling with a, a rodeo cowboy you learn how to be at a rodeo you know where to where where it's safe to be where it's where you shouldn't go how to interact with that world <laughs> and so when you're around the bucking shoots you know where you you learn where to stand where you can't stand how not to interfere with the judges because they have to have an unobscured, unobscured view. Um, how not to get in the way of the Cowboys and what they are doing, but still get your angles. So, you know, you, it takes practice and you have to learn that, <laughs> but you know, I know how to do that. And so I get invited back and I, my pictures have appeared all over and I've been profiled in, you know, Cowboys and Indians magazine and American Cowboy magazine and, you know, for my rodeo pictures. And, you know, for me, I think I just want to also be very clear. My rodeo and Western pictures are very informed by my fashion and portrait background. So, you know, most rodeo photographers that you'll see 
you know, it's all shots of bucking horses in the arena. Like, whatever. We've seen that a thousand times. You know, for me, rodeo was all about the people. And so, you know, when, like, for example, the guy that used to uh, handle the PR and marketing for the Reno Rodeo uh, would say, you know, Jeff, I really love watching you shoot because when all the photographer's lenses are pointed one way, yours is pointed the opposite direction. <laughs> That's and great. Bec- you know, because for me, it was about getting that iconic shot of the people, you know, because these people aren't, these are cowboys and cowgirls, you know, they're not playing dress up. This is their world. This is who they are. And I want to capture that. Another shot of a bucking horse we don't need. Hmm, so, that's great. What, what yeah. are your thoughts on the movement to ban rodeos? Uh, because some of them, are, some people complain that they endanger animals. You know, I have really specific. I have a really specific uh, viewpoint on that. Um, people should. So, first, I've been to. I don't know. Uh, I've been to the rodeo a hundred times, maybe. So I've, it's not my first rodeo. Okay. (laughs) And I think it's, I couldn't be a supporter of rodeo and I couldn't be, I couldn't endorse rodeo or be, or get behind it or want to promote it. If I felt that I love animals. If I felt, if I saw animals being abused, or if I saw, if I felt that animals were being mistreated, I couldn't be enthusiastic about rodeo. Um, people should know that, as I mentioned before, that there's the PRCA. So PRCA sanctions rodeos. There's no rodeo season. Rodeo starts in January and in the, every December. There's the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas, where the top 15 cowboys and cowgirls and top animals compete for awards. Rodeo animals are also seen as competitors. Really? Rodeo bulls, bucking bulls, and bucking horses are also considered athletes. And Mm -hmm. the top bulls and bucking horses are awarded prizes and buckles and uh, uh, at the end of the year. So the people that bring these animals to a rodeo are called stock contractors. <laughs> and stock contractors invest a lot of money and time in raising these animals from birth to be athletes. And so when a bull, like I have a friend who raises bulls, And she tells me that when the bull is back at the farm, she can walk right up to it and get onto it. But when the bull is in the arena, it knows it's time to turn it on. Really? And one thing I should speak, one, and I'm I'm not done. It's important also to know people think that that flank strap that people put around the bull at a rodeo binds uh, its balls, for want of a better word. (laughs) <laughs> That's not true. Uh, it's it's like it it helps. It's a trigger for the bull to buck a little better, but it's only like if you and I put on a belt one notch too tight. It <laughs> is not hurting the animal. There's no barbs in it. It doesn't touch the animal's, you know, 
boy parts and um it's not it's nothing more than you know something that's a little bit you know like if you put your belt on one notch too tight literally that's what it is um there are more rules this is very important the prca governing body has a rule book there are more rules for the welfare of the animals in the prca rule book than there are for the human competitors <laughs> that's how important the animals are in this sport Huh. And if it weren't like that, I couldn't get behind it. Huh. Interesting. So, you know, PETA, I look, I'm all for it. Look, I donated my last car to save the whales. So I, I, <laughs> I That's love fabulous. animals. But, you know, I think PETA, you know, they're using misinformation to go after rodeos. I, I think that's an important point that a lot of people have never really heard that point of view. Well, I'm seeing it from the inside. Hmm. You know, I'm seeing it from the cowboy's perspective. Yeah. That's a really and, good point. You made some really yeah. good points there. Yeah. Can, can and we of also course, ask you? Yeah. I want to. No, please. Please tell us what <laughs> sparked your interest in aviation. I wanted to be a pilot since I was a kid. I, I couldn't actually tell you what sparked my interest because it's just always been there. You know, my mom likes to say that she thinks like that I was maybe a reincarnated World War One aviator or something because it's just always been <laughs> maybe there. Maybe you are. That's, maybe. It's just not something that's, you know, it wasn't in my family. But, um, you know, as soon as I could afford it back in – Gosh, I was. It was 1994, and I shot a catalog and a bunch of advertising for a department store. And uh, I took a chunk of cash and I went to a flight school that a friend recommended. And I said, "Oh, take go, you know, teach me to fly." And I got my license, and you know, getting my pilot's license changed my life. It was one of the. It's still to this day one of the, you know, one of the best things I've ever done. It's it's affected me personally and professionally and you know it's been a, a life changer you know i mm. recommend anybody go out everybody should go out and get their pilot's license mm. i mean it's not easy you know it's it's very hard and it's well, expensive you know but it, it takes you have to really want it if you're going to get it do you only fly the cirrus um or do you fly other planes and also i have to know if you've ever done acrobatics in the sky so I'll talk about the aerobatics first. Um, I started training in aerobatics. I don't know why, but I got interested in it really early before I finished my license. Even I started doing Ooh. some aerobatic training and it was yeah. on a very basic level, you know, just uh, like spin, which is where you kind of fall toward, you know, spin towards the ground. Loop, That's pretty and then a scary. Roll. You know, the thing is you can't help but be a better pilot once you go through aerobatic training. The only airplane ever that I could literally jump in like it was my car and walk and fly away was the is you know is the Cirrus SR22. You know that's like putting on a pair of jeans. Hmm. Um, but I've flown. I mean, I've flown everything from a Piper Cub to a DC3 to an F16. You know, hmm. and wow. Um, you know, I've I've. Yeah. And so, you know, because I've been lucky enough to do a lot of aviation writing, you know, there's an airplane called the TBM 850 
And now there's so many versions of it. And, you know, and with every evolution, 850, 860, 920, 940, you know. So, but it's a single, it's a single engine turboprop. So it's a jet engine connected to a propeller with six seats. It's like a Ferrari in the sky. It's a, it's a three to $4 million airplane. It's, you know, a serious airplane. They make them in the Southwest of France in a city called Tarbes. And I've, uh, I went to school to learn how to fly that airplane. And I've flown it twice across the Atlantic from the factory back to the U S and Wow. You know, flying long distance in an airplane, is like a road trip. You know, because I've gotten to do so much aviation writing, I've gotten to, I've been able to fly so many different types of airplanes. And, you know, it's also the more experience you have, the more conservative you become too. So the number, the types of airplanes that I will not fly has grown as well. So like when I was the editor in chief of plane and pilot, so I was on every newsstand across the U.S. and the was my magazine as editor i would you know come up with the recipe and there were airplanes that i didn't even want to cover um you know i would constantly be pitched ideas well how about this airplane how about that airplane like no 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 we'll do this one instead or that one because you know aviation is inherently unforgiving and hazardous and you know lethal speed lethal altitude altitude and you know Mm -hmm. i think you know the more you learn the more conservative you become i don't want to you know, I don't want to die in an airplane. Yeah. So Jeff, we have covered a ton of topics today, but what do yeah. you think you'd like for our listeners to have as a takeaway today? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, we've really, really only scratched the surface. Uh, yeah, I know, but so you'll have to come subjects. back. Yeah. So many I mean, subjects. So many things. You know, if there were one thing that if there were one thing that I could impress upon people tuning in and if they've stayed this long, I hope they have, is that they should set their sights high and they and that they should know that not only should they set their sights high, but they can achieve whatever they go for. Because that's what I've done. That's how I've lived my life is deciding, you know what? I want to do that. And then I find a way and I go do it. And not only do I, do I go do it, but I've made it my work and my passion and my life. So find out what your passions are, figure out a way to make that happen, and then go do it. And because there's always, there's no excuse. Anybody can find an avenue to realize their passion and experience it. And I've done it numerous times with fashion and photography and film and cinematography and aviation. Like everything has led to another thing. I wanted to become a pilot, but being a pilot, I discovered rodeo just in a very organic way. And that led me to, you know, you know, a passion project about rodeo and, you know, aviation led me to, you know, being a photographer led me to celebrity aviation and celebrity pilots. And, you know, photography was an entree to that. And photography became an entree to cinematography. And, you know, there's the find the key to the world you want to be in. Because you'll always, if you put your mind to it, you'll find a way to find that key. Oh, Jeff, that is beautiful. Thank you so very much. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been the multifaceted and very passionate Jeff Berlin, photographer, cinematographer, pilot, rodeo, fan writer, and magazine editor. You can reach Jeff on Instagram at JT Berlin. 
We want to remind our listeners also to follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and at Late Boomers. We hope our podcast content is bringing you joy and inspiring you. You can write to us on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z. Thanks so much for listening and please subscribe to Late Boomers on your favorite platform. Thanks, Jeff, so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun, too, here on this side. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. <laughs>